0: On today's Complicated Conversation, we are thrilled to be joined by Carly Fortune. Carly is the New York Times and number one Globe and Mail best-selling author of Every Summer After. Carly is an award-winning journalist and worked as an editor at some of Canada's top publications. She was most recently the executive editor of Refinery29 Canada. She lives in Toronto with her husband and two sons. Her second book, Meet Me at the Lake, which we loved, is out now. Welcome
1: to Pop Fiction Women, Carly. Hi, thank you for having me.
0: We are just so excited. We were fangirling before we started this. We did. As soon as you came on, I was like, this this is a celebrity. Oh my God. I can't believe she's here. It really is. I mean, I we loved every summer after. I have to tell you, I was listening to that on Audible last summer on a family trip with an extended family in Ireland. And every time we got to a destination, we were like on this bus and we had to get off. I was like, I no like just could we? I wanted to keep driving, and my mom was getting so annoyed. Like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, you guys, you have to read this book. I did not want to ever stop anywhere because I just wanted to keep listening. So, and this Meet Me at the Lake was fantastic. So we're just we're just so excited to
1: to have you. Oh, thank you so much. So why
2: don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about Meet Me at the Lake?
1: Sure. Yeah. So it is a summary love story about Fern and Will who meet when they're in their early 20s. They've just graduated university and they have this chance encounter and they end up spending an entire day together, 24 hours in the city you know, they have this like amazing connection. They're telling each other all their secrets and they're talking about how they envision their futures. And they decide to make a pact to meet in one year's time at Fern's family's resort. She has this lakeside resort where she grew up and Fern shows up and Will does not. And then cut forward 10 years later, Fern is back home at the resort. She is running the place following the death of her mother. This is like the absolute last thing she wanted to do. It's becoming clear to her that the business is in trouble. Her ex-boyfriend's the manager, which is also tricky. And in walks Will, who she has not seen since that one day 10 years ago. And he has kind of a surprising offer to help. And he is very changed from the person that she knew in her early 20s. And she can tell he's kind of keeping something from her. She's not sure whether she can trust him. And so the book is, it goes back and forth in time between that day 10 years ago and the present summer. It's a really tender, tender hearted love story.
2: I want to zoom out a little bit because sure. you're about to be the envy of many authors for delivering such a wonderful book too an amazing oh. book too because yeah. you've had oh, a huge you. debut yeah and yes, i was I actually just recently at the hamptons mystery and crime festival and there was a brilliant panel that included editors who had been edited so editors turned authors, oh. Nita Prose, yes. uh, Greer Hendricks, AJ Finn, all of them with wildly successful debuts. And yes. one of them, their editor actually said to them, you aren't a real writer until you've survived book two. Yeah. So you, here you, you've you done it. it. But yeah, and, and you wrote about it beautifully in your acknowledgements for Meet Me at the Lake. I want to read a line. You say that There may have been a little magic in writing every summer after, but drafting Meet Me at the Lake took grit. Grit.
1: I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about that process? Thank you. I'm so glad that resonated with you. I wrote two versions of the acknowledgments. One was much shorter, and I sent both of them into to my team. And I said, is this long one too much? Like, should I just keep this to myself? And they said, no. So when I wrote Every Summer After, it was the summer of 2020. And I was a journalist. I had always had this like secret desire to write a book. Creative writing was my first love as a kid. And I was working a very stressful job, got off a very stressful work call. And said to myself, you know what, I'm gonna write my book. I, in this moment in 2020, where I have done nothing for myself creatively, I've been an editor for 16 years, all of my ideas have gone to my work, my job. I wanna do something for me. And I said, I'm gonna write a book, I'm gonna finish it by the end of the year. That's what I did, like that's exactly what I did. And I did it early in the morning. I set myself a very modest daily word count goal, and writing that book every summer after i felt like i was doing what i was meant to be doing it was it brought me so much joy i just loved it so much it just came it came so easily everything about that book from the moment i decided to do it to getting an agent to you know getting a book deal yeah. You know, this is really annoying for a lot of writers here, I'm sure, but it did feel like magic. And, so, and you know, in Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, she talks about how sometimes when you're in this state, it feels like you're just kind of like a vessel for the ideas and the words. And yeah. they're just kind of flowing from the ether, like through you to the page. And that's how a lot of Every Summer After felt. And then with Meet Me at the Lake, it was not like that at all. It was mm-hmm. so hard. I wrote it before Every Summer After came out. And thank goodness, I wrote, I had two drafts done before Every Summer After came out. And I just was filled with self-doubt. You know, I felt like because of that feeling that there was this magic in writing Every Summer After that I couldn't do it again. I was like looking through my notebook um, that I kept when I wrote that book, trying to figure out how I did it. Yeah. Like, how I love you that you it. were like, "How do you write a novel?" I don't know. <laughs> Where's the magic? <laughs> how do you do, How do you do that? And mm. it every day, every single day, I sat down at the computer to write. And I and you know, I wrote every summer after with a full time job. I wrote it like early in the morning. I was on maternity leave when I started writing *Mimi at the Lake*. My husband was looking after a kid. I I wrote this book full full time. I was working on it full time. It was just so much harder. And I would stare at the screen telling myself, you can't do this. This is going to suck. You suck. It was just. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was like I would battle that for an hour every day yeah. until I'd start writing. I just kept pushing through it. And it's, you know, I think I felt like I was going to disappoint my editor and mm-hmm. let people down and And then of course I got the edit back. Edits for every summer after were really fast. It was like two weeks of edits. And me and me at the lake, I got my first editorial note back and it was, I think it was like nine pages of notes. And I felt like I needed to vomit for about two (laughs) years. I had a bad job. And and now I know, you know, that's kind of what writing a book is like, actually. And it's more of a like, I, every book is different, but yeah, it was it was rough. <laughs> By the way, I my
2: letter is longer than that, so <laughs> even that's not. But but I the first person I reached out to was Ashley Audrain, yes. and she said the Love same her. thing. Like yeah. I wanted to vomit. This is yeah. not fun. <laughs> and so yeah. seems to be the
0: consensus. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So
0: we want to talk about Fern. She is at this crossroads. She's sort of thrust unexpectedly back in her hometown, running the family's lakeside resort, as you said, something she swore she would never do. She's lost her mother. She's struggling, really, with what she wants and and how to get it. So we'd love to hear about your development of Fern, where she came from, and how she came to you, and your development of her.
1: Yeah, so the idea for this book... I had a lot of insomnia during my pregnancy and then following my pregnancy, which is just a terrible time to have insomnia when you're up in the middle of the night anyway and then you can't go back to sleep. And it was, you know, we were having a meeting in, I don't know, like a, a month and a half about book two and what the idea is and kind of try to get that idea signed off on. And I was just, I was really struggling with my mental health and being tired. And I was lying there in the middle of the night. And I thought, okay, let's just like, let's start over. Where do you want to be when you write this book? Because writing, I find, is like reading, for me anyway, is that like I exist in the world where my characters are. So I was like, what world do I want to be in? And I saw this resort, Brookbanks Resort, this kind of like classic lakeside resort, like dirty dancing dirty. style, but Ontario <laughs> cottage country I was like just immediately. That's immediately where I felt like spending my time. And then like as soon as I saw that, I saw Fern. And I knew right away that she would be kind of a pricklier character, that she would be, you know, somebody who has had maybe a bit of a troubled youth, somebody who really knows her own mind, but we we're meeting her at a time when all the things that she thought she knew are being kind of thrown into question. And I felt like I kind of understood Fern from the get-go. Of course, that takes a long time to convey that on the page, yes. or it, it did for me.
2: Yeah, sometimes it's even more challenging. Right? You're like, oh no, I know exactly why she's doing yeah. this, and people yes. saying, well, why did she react this way? I'm like, ah, uh, duh. Yeah, yes. I had that
1: same. I had that same experience with every summer after the, the character of Sam, who is basically me. And, you know, there would be like, some of the edits were about about him. I'm like, I don't understand why you don't understand this. Like, it's yeah. Sam. Like, I guess. Like, yes, exactly. This is Sam. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I knew with Fern that before I really had a clear vision for the love story, I knew that that same night, I knew that this story would be about also be about Fern and her mother and their relationship Mm -hmm. and what kind of their struggles and what it would be like growing up. I grew up with a a family who had a restaurant and an inn, and we didn't live on the property. But what is that like when you're surrounded by guests all the time, when your parent is working, when life and work kind of overlap, small town, when you grow up in a small town, everybody knows your business. And I knew I wanted to look at their... Fern and her mom Maggie's relationship, and I knew I wanted it to be kind of examined through diaries. And so there's a series of diary entries in the book from the summer of 1990 when Fern's mom becomes pregnant with her. And I thought, I want this diary to seem like it's telling her mom's summer romance, but it's actually what it will really be about is her mom's love for her daughter. And that is something that Fern is kind of, you know, She thinks of her mom in one way, or her mom thinks of her in one way, and that this diary was going to kind of show something a little different.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that because we are very interested in mother dynamics, being both daughters and mothers to our own children. It's a complicated relationship. And then seeing your child and your parent in a different point of view is. Is, it takes something happening. It takes an effort. It takes a diary. It takes some sort of because otherwise you just play your your normal roles. And then and the mother daughter relationship is even more maybe complicated. How we often don't want to become our mother, but then s- find ourselves doing exactly the same way. And Fern is the spitting image of her mother, but they had a much more complicated relationship than yeah. than identical. So. And and Will's mother has uh, he has his own challenges with her too. Yeah. yeah. So what what were you exploring with this? Because it's not one thing. And what were you trying to work out in this novel for us?
1: I think I think I was working with with parenting. I think I was working out some of the stuff that I deal with as a, a parent. I've got two children, six and and two, and I think. You know, the book is told from Fern's perspective, but I thought a lot about Maggie and and who she was and what she struggled with. I wrote, it's not in, it's you know, it's not published, but I wrote journal entries for the entire summer, much longer than what is in the book. So I knew exactly kind of who she was, what her story was. My editors asked a lot of questions about her. So I feel like I really understand her. And the thing that she was struggling with, she is this very capable Ambitious, energetic person who then becomes a parent, and everything is, you know, harder. And you feel like this is how I feel. And I think how Maggie felt like you just can't do good enough on all fronts. And I think Maggie really threw herself into the resort. She running the resort, unlike Fern. Maggie, the resort was owned by Fern's grandparents. Maggie always wanted to run the place. She felt like her parents weren't doing it properly. Mm -hmm. So she's really wrapping her arms around it and she works her butt off. And Mm -hmm. from Fern's perspective, she's a bit neglected and she has a lot of like kind of issues (laughs) with her mother and her mother's relationship to work. But I think from Maggie's perspective, it was, it's like, uh, this is the one thing I'm good at. I'm good at at work. And I think that's really, I wanted to show how kind of the different views on like what that's like for a kid, what that's like mm-hmm. for the parent. So I was, I think that was what I was working out personally. Yeah.
2: Too. I mean, it it makes a lot of sense and it's something, it's so relatable. It's incredibly universal. Just yeah. the fact that it's hard to see that point of view and you're so entrenched in your own. I have conversations with my daughter about this already. Like, I'm like, I'm trying my best. And she's like, yes. you didn't do this and you didn't say this. And why don't you? And I'm like, oh <sighs> boy. And then of course, yeah. I'm usually looping it back to my mother. I'm like, well, my mother didn't make a big deal about XYZ. So I didn't think I should make a big right. deal about XYZ. And yeah. you wanted that. And mm-hmm. oh, it's so complicated. But yes. you do it. You It's universal and you do it so beautifully here. Thank you. Thank you.
0: The other thing you do beautifully, of course, is the love story. So we have to talk about Will. Fern and Will, it is a second chance love story. As you said, Will is the man she spent one day with 10 years ago, who then ghosted her that afternoon when he was supposed to meet her a year later. So she swears him off, but of course, never forgets him. I think you call him the what if guy. We kind of refer to it as the one that got away. But it's one of our favorite tropes to discuss on the podcast separately. We've had, I mean, I can't even count the endless hours we've logged on this topic. But (laughs) so why, why did you want to explore this? and, And why do you think people love this one that got away story so much?
1: Well, I think we all have what if people and what if moments or decisions, you know, I chose to do X, but what if I had done Y instead? What if I had made a different decision? Or, you know, there are people in our past and not always romantic. Sometimes it's friendships where a person is so important to you and means so much, and then they're not in your life anymore. And you may be like have. Dreams about them sometimes, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that person was really important to me at the." Mm-hmm. And I, so I just think there are people who stick to our ribs, and oh, whether that is romantic or not. And I'm apparently a very nostalgic person, judging from my my books. And I, yeah. I what what I really wanted to do. With Meet Me at the Lake, when I started thinking about, okay, who – th- so I think of Fern. Like, who is the person for Fern? And that's where Will came out of. But the ch- what I wanted to do as a writer was challenge myself to do the exact opposite thing that I had done with Every Summer After. So with Every Summer After, the characters meet when they are 13, and they grow up together, and they, they become best friends, and they – you know, eventually fall in love and they have many years and many moments to deepen their relationship and their understanding of each other. And I wanted to see if I could write two characters who have an, an intense bond in a very short amount of time and could that feel real? Yeah. And so that was kind of the challenge to myself and then Really, writing Will, who was the most difficult character to write, for sure, was figuring out his kind of trauma, what his issues were, and why didn't he show up that day. Yeah. And that took a lot of self-reflection and a lot of work. Like, I love him so much. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I, good. I, I do really love him so much. But yeah, it was really the love story it was mostly, I just wanted to do, okay, I did this one thing I want to do. The books are almost like mirror in some ways. They're, yes. They they are kind of talk to each other, but I wanted to do the opposite thing. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, and that's what I love that you can take something under the umbrella of kind of the one that got away or, or the missed opportunity and it yeah. can be so different and, yes. and feel fresh and original even with that same – under that same umbrella, so that you give us what we want and then also more of it.
1: I hope so. I hope so.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You are crazy good at mystery. Oh, um, thank you. Which is an unexpected compliment maybe for a romance writer. I remember just like turning pages like what is going to happen? What is going to happen? Is it something that you are intentional about when you're writing, being Um, the mystery?
1: Yeah, certainly with these with both those books, yes. Yeah. I knew you know, some people say that every summer after has a twist. I like I don't think it has a twist. I think it just kind of there I think both books maybe at the lake has a bit of a twist. I think there's a reveal in Every Summer After. I yeah. always knew what the re- reveal would be. But then there's like a mini twist after the reveal. I'm just like, it's just like mm-hmm. speak. It's an annoying way to speak, but I don't want to spoil it. No, but those
2: are no, the, yeah. those are kind of things that we talk about with mystery or thriller. It's not yes. something you think of with romance or rom-com. So mm-hmm. yeah, you are I, using these techniques.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working on my third book now. And it. I, I don't think it has that same kind of, like it doesn't really have that it's some it's it's like it's its own thing but i think that's okay like i think that's okay i lo- yeah. i love twists and turns and reveals and i just i think it's fun yeah <laughs> um, i think yeah. you'd
2: be surprised it's it's just your pacing it's not an yeah. actual yeah. mystery it's just your pacing you're you're really Thank good you. at keeping us wanting to turn the pages to know what happens to these Thank people you yeah
0: yeah. I love that you said it. We all have people that stick to our ribs. I'm going to use yeah. that expression. Yeah. That's so good. The it's other so thing, true. it's true and it, you're we focus a lot on the romantic aspect of the one that they got away, but I think you're making a great point that it's just there are just people that stick in your life or that there are like you said that it's broader than that. There's missed opportunities, there's just just non-romantic relationships, but the what if is really what I think yeah.
1: people
0: are interested in. But but of course, I am also just really interested in the romantic aspect, the, the romance of the story. And one of the things I love, and we talk, also talk about a lot, is this idea of being seen,
1: mm-hmm. you know, and you
0: give the perfect example of this, I think, with Will, because he sees her back then, even in that one day, 10 years mm-hmm. ago, you know, he perfectly kind of captures her in a sketch, you know, because he's an yeah. artist. and you know, even then he saw her and he had just met her that day. Like his rendering of her literally is when she yeah. looks at it is like, oh my God, this, this is me, you know? And then yeah. later when, now when they reconnect, he has this great speech about how he knows her. And I just wonder, cause that really speaks to me, but do you yeah. think as a, like as a romance writer, is that the pinnacle of love and connection? Like having one person see or know the other person or when a person allows themselves to be seen, which because it's sort of a
1: two-part thing. It is a two-part thing, isn't it? I think you can't have one without the other for a Mm. successful relationship. You know, I've been with my partner, for my husband, for a really long time, and I find the hard moments in a relationship are often like, Feeling not seen. I think when you're with somebody for a long time, you have a a practical life together. And when I'm like feeling like annoyed, I realize it's because it's like, oh, we're not looking at each other. Like we we haven't had enough time together. We're starting to feel like furniture in each other's lives. And I think what. You know, then you have a conversation or you go out together or you have time together and you talk and you laugh together and you have this banter or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, gosh, you are so special. And I I love the person that you are. And I think it is, you know, as you go through a relationship, you have to kind of really work on that. But at the beginning of the relationship, that is like finding that person who reflects you back to yourself and makes you feel like not just, you know, one in a million pajillion people on the, on the planet, but just one special person who is unique is so – it just fills you up. And especially when you like – when you are like, oh, I like you too. Like just yeah. that. Just, yes. Like, just when you yes. also feel like you see someone or or you, mm-hmm. you want to be seen by that person. And mm-hmm. I think – yeah, I, th- I think that's – in so many of the wonderful romances – That I read, I think that is like a common element of what Mm -hmm. the characters, the love interests give each other is that Mm -hmm. really focused view on the other person. Carly,
2: you just totally broke this for me. Kate and I (laughs) have talked about this so many times and I have a bit of a different view, but now I realize I don't. I just assume like seeing isn't like a special moment. In my mind, it is more – I am more aware of when I am not seen yes. and that is when I get anxious and mm-hmm. cranky and, uh you're not seeing how stressed I am. You're not seeing yes. how overwhelmed I am. You're not seeing how I need X or Y or Z. Yeah. That is it. It is exactly mm-hmm. the same. It's just whether it's kind of the thing that you realize you're missing or like you really relish in that and having it. Yeah. And I think I just assume you have it and then when you don't, that's when you know –
0: something's yes. not
2: right here that's yeah. just
0: thank you mind. because you yeah. just saved us i mean i've obviously wasn't wasn't explaining this well so i love it i love that carly <laughs> has broken this open for us uh, the the, It was fantastic to you i love it yeah. you even got in a mirror reference which i also love so yes <laughs> yes well speaking
2: of seeing can i jump to your author's note. the, of the kind of to the, I'm going to get choked up and I'm going to I'll move get choked past up it.
1: And I'll get choked okay,
2: up. Okay. <laughs> we're just going to move past it. I already see my eyes <laughs> redding. This book is amazing. And then you give us the gift of the acknowledgements. And then you give us the gift of the, the reader's note. And I also had a traumatic first birth experience similar to you, but mine was not Similar in that it was me who almost died. My son was pretty good, which, by the way, just explains our dynamic. He's always like, I'm good. And I'm like, I'm dying. Are you
0: okay? <laughs>
2: I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you write like how everything felt like survival after that, Mm -hmm. which was certainly the case for me too. And then I also, even beyond the birth experience, I also struggled with postpartum. And for so many stupid reasons, I was really never diagnosed. I never got professional help that I certainly needed. I just kind of muscled through it. And sometimes I wonder how. I even made it through. But yeah. when I read you talking about postpartum OCD and intrusive thoughts, I, I really, I cried. And I cried with relief because you spoke, you don't go into a lot of detail. It's not necessary. What you said is, you know, I share this even vaguely to let others know you're not alone. And you said, we go through our darkest moments alone, but we emerge from that with help. And I didn't get professional help, but I did get help. And I want to thank you for writing about that. And it doesn't have to be every detail. And I also loved the way you didn't want to talk about details because I do the same thing. I'm like, (laughs) I don't need to burden you. I don't want you to judge me. I don't need any of that in order to feel better and feel connected, it
1: made me feel relief. Wow. So thank you for that. I, If you want to talk a little bit about your decision to share it. Yeah. Oh, and thank you for sharing that. That's, I'm honored. I think and- you're
2: going to get a lot of it. Mm. I think you're going to um, get a lot of it as this book
1: makes its way further
2: out into the world.
1: You know, I think so many people also are muscling through. We get so many messages about new parenthood. We know that it's hard, but until we start it, we you, it, you just can't know what it's like until you're going through it. And it's funny because I really think that new parenthood is something nobody cares about unless you're in it.
2: Like, yeah,
1: you really don't, yeah. you really don't care about it. And it feels it feels very isolating. And you want to feel so good. Like you want to feel all the love and the cuddles and, and when you don't feel like that, like when you're, you're in this like really tough, scary, terrifying world in your mind, it's both that, the thing that's going on in your mind. And I had really severe intrusive thoughts and images. So you're coping with that, but you're also coping with this, like, but I, this, this like grief of not having this experience that you want to have with your kid. And postpartum OCD is, not something that we hear about very much. I had never heard of no, it. Never. No. Yes, I had never heard of it either. And it it is an anxiety disorder. It is, you know, much like postpartum depression and that it comes <laughs> at the same time. It, if you suffer from depression or anxiety, you there's a correlation. And, but it is really, it, you know, because of the symptoms, which, you know, trigger warning for anyone who has sensitivities around this stuff. Like just, I think we should say this, this, this topic is hard uh, to hear about and to talk about, but it is, you know, often the thoughts are about harming the baby and Mm -hmm. it's not just birth parents who can experience postpartum OCD, anybody in a parenting role can experience this. And because for me, because I had never heard about it, and because you do hear about postpartum psychosis, which is, and I remember in the like the day after I gave birth, the nurse talking about it, and my brain kind of latching on to this, oh my gosh. So you think when you have these intrusive thoughts, you think that's what's happening to you. Right. right. And it is so you can't like to share that with somebody and is is so difficult. I really thought that's what was happening to me. I didn't tell anyone. I eventually, after months, I I was going for a, a doctor's appointment the next day for the for the baby, and I I said to my husband that night when we we're in bed, something is wrong. Like something is wrong, and he was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> he was just, he stayed calm, but that's like what I shared. Same. Yes, 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 same. And then I told my doctor, and she was immediately like. Okay, oh, because I it was an appointment for the baby, but she was also my doctor, and she just like turned around and immediately start like you know got me help and but just doing those two things, just telling my husband, just telling my doctor, relieved the symptoms greatly. It's incredible. But but you have to tell people. You have to tell people.
2: Yeah. When you. Yeah.
1: Are struggling because the isolation makes it worse. Like going, muscling through in our own minds is is not helping us, and it is so hard. It is the hardest thing to do to talk to, to, you know, whether it's about mental health or other things. It's true. Talking to to people, like sharing, communicating, is hard. It is hard, even if you've been with your partner for. 18 yeah. years like I, and I have. Yeah. Even
2: if you have a great relationship, it's, yeah. it is. It's It's just hard. It's um, hard. And, and you do, though, there's something about that translation from it just being in your head to being out in the world that makes a huge difference. Yes. I remember that yeah. feeling as yeah. well. Well, I'm so glad you shared and, you know, wrote that note. I thank you so much. And again, I know as this book goes wider out into the world, you're going to to have a lot more people feeling grateful for using your platform to just even say you're not alone. And that's such a huge piece of the first step. So thank
0: thank you. you. Thank you. you. The sharing, it's like same with your acknowledgments, like you said earlier, like sharing that struggle of writing the second book that you had a shorter version and a longer (laughs) version, but it's true. See, you're allowing us to see you and then we see ourselves. So, so (laughs) giving those kind of details and sharing you know there's a lot out there about people sharing too much you know in social yes. media or whatever but this is yeah. the good kind of sharing this is the oh. sharing that allows people to connect so
1: thank it, you i'm so, yes. i'm so glad you said that because it is hard to sometimes figure out what is worth sharing and what yeah. is something you want to keep private and you know yeah. I, <laughs> I haven't put everything out there and it's something you know because i was an editor for many years. And Mm -hmm. at the end of my career worked in quote unquote women's media, where you see a lot of very revealing personal essays. And Mm -hmm. one of, I think my most important jobs was helping figure, like thinking really carefully about what, why are we putting something out there? Mm -hmm. Should this be out there? What, like, what does it mean for the author to put put something like this out there? Mm -hmm. And so I try to be careful with myself, but I also really I'm trying to be generous with what I do share, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Because, but that because oh, readers yeah. have given me so much, yeah. yeah. And it's clear that you have th- have
2: thought Thoughtful. about it on a different level, yeah. And and it makes sense, like you're saying, as an editor, you were doing it for your writers as well, and you really did get that line to say, you know. This is what's happening vaguely. You don't need to know all the details. I yeah. Sometimes yeah. all the details can actually differentiate people, right? Like it's then, oh, well, I didn't them. do that yeah. one thing. So then that's mm-hmm. different from my situation yes. or, or whatever it is. So you really, you can tell that you use so much care and thought into how and what you're revealing and
0: it, it was all the right notes. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank and you. one thing I'm just so happy you shared on social media was your love oh, of yay. Anne of Green Gables. Oh, Your yes. post about visiting Green Gables and mm-hmm. PEI. To say I am a huge fan of Anne of Green Gables does not do it justice. It is like literally the most formidable piece of literature of my entire life and childhood. And I mean, I I, visit, I have visited as well twice I got engaged in Prince Edward Island and I me mean, no. the whole thing. Yeah, like Gilbert is still to me, there is no male character that could oh, be any no. higher Please for me. Pull
1: my braid and call me Carrot, uh, sir. I, I mean
0: seriously. So and and so I of course I have to ask you about this. And but I just feel like one of the things that there's so many things that I loved about that growing up. But the way Lucy Maud Montgomery brought me to Prince Edward Island I mean I went to a library when I was a kid I remember the microfiche and I researched Prince Edward Island like I was (gasps) 10 years old and I was like I will go here and the red clay and everything and I feel like you've done that for me with Barry's Bay and the cottages in Ontario like you. you have captured the place as well in the way she did so I just I I have to ask you about your relationship with with Anne of Green Gables
1: and, and sort of yeah. what it means to you. Oh, everything. I, I
0: mean, it's just everything.
1: Yes, and you know, I was rereading it and it was the first time as an adult reading it and the writing is so good. It is. It really <laughs> is. I know that, but like just appreciating there's this at the beginning of the book, she is describing a character. It might be Marilla and it's it, the way that she uses the description, it's like if you are just a casual observer, you notice this. But if you're looking closely, then you would notice this. And it what I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously she's a brilliant writer, but I just appreciate that so much more as an adult. And yes, I loved Anna Green Gables as a child. And particularly for me, I don't, so have you seen the CBC original? I've seen it like one
0: million times. Yes. Okay. So
1: that is, I also have seen it one million times when I was when we were first living in in Barry's Bay. We only had three channels, and one of them was CBC, which it was on. It it was PBS in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and like you know, similar stations. So we had that on V. We recorded it, and we had it on VHS, and it was very like Mm -hmm. it's very fuzzy and grainy. But I have seen the two, the first two. There was a later one. Yeah, which was so many times. And to me, so Jonathan Crombie, who played Gilbert, to me, it was just so just beautifully captured that Mm -hmm. character. And Megan Mm -hmm. Follows also just like to me, they are Anne and Gilbert and their chemistry and like everything for me. Like that is for me, for sure, the original, the original romance, the original. Yeah, the original love story. When Jonathan Crombie passed away, about gosh, it must be five or six it's, years ago. Yeah. I I wrote a piece at the at the time I was at oh. Chatelaine magazine, which is a national women's magazine here, about how he mm-hmm. was the ultimate crush. So yeah. I haven't written an enemies to lovers trope before, but it is my favorite trope, and I think it's I think it's because of Green Gables.
0: Wait, yeah. so I always tell Corinne that I'm not an enemies to lovers fan. But I, how can, I, don't, think, yeah. but I don't think of them as enemies to
1: lovers. Okay, no, you just you blew know my mind. Rivals they, to lovers? Yes, yes rivals. Is
0: which is different, is better. Yeah. Exactly. Better. And the way that they're rivals is intellectually, which forget it. Then you've got me like, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, that's like, oh, the this thinking women's so enemies to lovers. Yes. That's what it, it is. The thinking woman's enemies to lovers. Okay. All right. I've definitely the snobbiest need to have said today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's okay. Totally so fine. Oh my gosh. So the other thing we have to ask you about before you before we go, because you also had a post on this is astrology. We are obsessed with astrology, but you yes. gave us this great post about how you <laughs> found your childhood journals where you were writing and you had all potential character names, but also their astrological signs and their attributes so
1: what is your relationship with astrology I mean you What's captured sign? us
0: <laughs> there Come on. you got that yeah
2: yeah
1: yeah I so when I I wrote this like it was like a map of each sign and like details about each sign and it was in this booklet of that I had made for myself of things to choose from when I'm writing. So like here are potential settings, here are potential character names, here are potential astrological signs and what they mean. And I'm sure I got everything. I was obsessed with magazines and teen magazines. I'm sure everything is pulled together from like multiple teen magazines for the astrological part. So that was when I was most deep into astrology. So I, I'm an Aquarius. (gasps) But what I know most about astrology (laughs) or my best friend at that time, who was a cancer and my crush at the time, who is who, <laughs> is still, but was at the time, a Leo. So those are the two. The cancer and Leo are the signs I am most familiar with because those were the people who I cared about most yeah. at that time and who I was always reading up on. So... I'll read my horoscope, but I don't follow closely. And it's one of those things that I just kind of, I love, but I forget to do. And I feel this way about celebrity culture, which I really love, but I always forget to check in on.
2: (laughs) Well, you seem like a very typical Aquarius. Do you relate to what you read? I'm thinking the editor, how thoughtful you are, how you want to do things, kind of thinking about everything and do it the right way. Very intelligent, optimistic unique, someone who is thinking about all of these things and leading people in the right way?
1: I do. I relate to a lot of it. Sometimes I read the Aquarius description. I'm like, that seems a bit cooler than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, You're mistaken. Did you see I the way really, we fangirled when you came on the screen? Yeah. You I are I'm cooler. More, I'm like very hungry for approval, which mm. I don't think is an Aquarian trait, but maybe that's just like being a woman.
2: Yeah. I was going to say that's well, society. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, uh, well, can we, if we could ask real quick before you go, what you're loving right now, any yeah. books that you're reading, that movies yeah. that you're watching TV yeah. shows that you're binging, what are you well, obsessed with?
1: There was such a long period of time. We're like, Oh, what am I going to, to w- watch on TV? But now the three of my favorite shows are all have new episodes airing. Mm-hmm. So succession, which I just adore. And I'm caught up on Succession and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, mm-hmm. which I'm not mm-hmm. caught up on, but I am I love that show so much. So I'm watching She's that. And then I haven't started the second season yet, but it just began on Sunday, is Somebody Somewhere. <gasps> oh, that's oh, right. Oh, we love that. Yes. I know. Yes. We did I, watch the first like, season. More people so need to good. talk about this show. More people I need know. to wa- watch this show. It's on HBO. It is about a, a woman who returns home to Kansas and is making kind of a unlikely group of friends there. And it is so it does what I think the best books and T V shows and movies do, which is move through such a wide array of emotions. You know, you're crying, you're laughing, yes. you're yeah. it's, you're thinking and it does it does it so beautifully and quickly and so within one scene, you're, you know, laughing and crying at the same time. Yeah. And yes. I, That's I just Bridget
2: Everett. She is fantastic. And the whole cast, the whole cast does that to you.
1: And then one book I'd love to mention, because I'm so excited about it, is a debut that's coming out this summer called Sunshine Nails, Mm -hmm. and it's by, the author's name is Mai Nguyen, and it is about a family who runs a kind of mom and pop nail salon. And they, across the street, it's, the business is struggling. They are a Vietnamese family. It is following. It's set in 2016 following, in 2015, the New York Times published a kind of groundbreaking and explosive piece of journalism about the labor conditions in nail salons in the city. And I think one of the effects of that piece, while that piece was important, was that a lot of people looked at immigrant-run businesses and they said, like, should I be taking my money to yeah. these salons? And so this family run place is struggling in 2016. And across the street comes kind of like the Starbucks of Nails oh. and one mm-hmm. of these chain places, which were which began to really proliferate at that time. You know, people it's like very Instagrammable. It's yeah. very it's and so it is like I love that as a conceit. And they, this family, it's told from five POVs, the parents, the adult parents, and then their adult millennial children and a cousin who has come from Vietnam to to work at the salon. And it's about kind of the morally questionable ways they try to keep the business going. Yeah. And it is such a fun ride. The writing, I got out, I'm not an annotator, but I got out my pen on page three and started underlining the writing because it is so beautiful. Oh, it is fast paced and it is so smart. And I i cannot recommend it highly enough.
2: Oh, wow. that one comes okay. out this summer, July 4th, I think it is. So Yeah. yeah
1: so what a yeah
0: what a
2: ringing endorsement I'm definitely pre-ordering that right now
0: (laughs) yes good well
2: Carly thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us meet me at the lake is out now and you've done it again and I hope you'll keep doing it for us
0: yes please thank Thank you you. we absolutely loved it cried my way through the last half so it's you've done your work (laughs) (laughs) thank you